check those out. Now here's Brian. Well, good morning. Okay. We're going to have to work on this, people. Brandon said, how are you feeling? And I heard like three people cheer from backstage. It is July 4th weekend. Most of you are going to get a day off this week, or at least some of you, or at least some time off or something. You should be excited to be here and celebrate the weekend, right? Fireworks are going to be happening this week, all kinds of exciting stuff. So how are you doing this morning, TBA? Much better. Now let's try to stay awake through the rest of the service. All right, my name is Brian Legg. I'm part of our, our lead pastor team here. So glad that you could be here this morning, especially on a holiday weekend. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about the holiday that we're celebrating this weekend, July 4th. And it was interesting to me, especially in light of what we're talking about today, how sometimes the things that we celebrate in culture tend to go directly against what we are doing in our spiritual walk. And, and don't get me wrong. I have nothing against July 4th. I'm, all, I'm excited about Independence Day. I think it's a great thing. But when you think about the concept of Independence Day and celebrating our independence, it kind of rails against the thinking of what God has been teaching us throughout the Sabbath series where we've been talking about the fact that we need to be dependent on Him for everything. And I don't know about you, but I get stuck in that mindset a lot where I've I want to be independent. I want to do it my way. I want to be strong enough and handle it on my own and et cetera, et cetera. You go down the road. But through this whole Sabbath series, we've been talking about changing the way we think, changing how we perceive the world, looking at things a little differently. And that, that concept that God is teaching is, seems to rail against everything that we're taught in society. God is teaching us to be dependent on Him, to surrender in order to have victory. I can't speak for you, but I was thinking about this this past week, and I'm coming up on 40 years that I've been involved in the church. I've been in ministry 17 years. I was one of those guys that didn't really have a long rebellious stage where I ran off and did my own thing. I, I've been around the church most of my life and been trying to follow after God, and still I struggle with this concept, this idea of being dependent. But it is the very foundation of our faith, this idea of dying to self so that we can live with Christ Surrendering our own thoughts, our dreams and plans so that we can experience the blessing of God's dreams and plans for our lives. So we come to this morning and we're in week six of a series on Sabbath. Now, I'm going to give you a, a, an honest pastor's perspective for a moment. I don't know how you guys feel about this stuff, but by the time we get to about week, or, week five or week six of any series, doesn't matter what it is, I'm starting to wonder... Are we out of material at this point? I mean, should we just move on to something else? But this is one of those series where we felt like it was really important that we cover a lot of different things around the idea of Sabbath because I think we struggle with it. So I'm just curious for all of you, you've been around six weeks, you've been hearing these messages, we've been talking about a healthy pattern of Sabbath in our lives. How many of you have it all figured out now and you're living out Sabbath well? Wow. Wow. About as many of you as were awake earlier when Brandon asked. It's hard to live, isn't it? We talk about resting, but it's hard to live out. And it's the same for me. It's interesting. This past week was one of those weeks where it just seemed like anything and everything that I've ever been involved in in my life had something required of me this week. I don't know what it was, but it was like there were surprise meetings, there were conference calls, there were tasks that I didn't even know were going to happen, that all of a sudden I had a task that needed to be completed yesterday, and, and I'm going through trying to get everything done, and it's not even just church. Some of it was related to church, some of it's like community organizations that I'm in with my kids or the school or different things. I was just running helter-skelter all week long. 
And this comes on the tail end of what I would say has been a year where I thought, man, I'm doing pretty good. I got my priorities kind of lined out. I'm following the system pretty well. I've got the most important things there. And then this week just went crazy. And in the midst of this week, I'm studying so that I can speak to you guys this morning about being still and resting and getting out of the busyness of life so that we can hear God's voice. Seems a little ironic, huh? I remember thinking to myself, I think it was about Wednesday. All right, Brian, here's the test. How are you going to live up to this? Are you going to live out everything that you're talking about, everything that you've been speaking on as we've been walking through this Sabbath series, or are you going to be a hypocrite? Are you going to stop the busyness and put God first? And if I'm being honest, it probably depends on which day you look at this week, how well I did. Because there were one or two days this week where it was like life just ran over me. And I got to the end of the day and I went, whoa, what happened? It was like I never had any downtime, any quiet time. I didn't set aside that time. And I know better. I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, there were a lot of other days where I was disciplined. In the beginning of the day, I set aside that time and I spent time with God and I was quiet and I was still. And I spent some time talking to him, praying, seeking him in his word. And it's amazing how much better those days seemed to go. Even though I took that time out of the day where I was crazy busy, Those days went so much better. You see, I think there's an aspect of Sabbath that we've kind of touched on throughout the series, but I'm not sure that we've really nailed it home yet. And it's the idea that it takes discipline. To honor the Sabbath in our lives, to honor that pattern requires discipline. It doesn't just happen. Living in a healthy pattern of Sabbath, it's not going to just happen. It's not going to do it on its own. You're not going to figure it out on your own. It's going to require intentional effort or discipline on our part. Basically, we're training a spiritual muscle. And training hurts. If you've ever lifted weights or you've run or you've done other kinds of exercise, you know, some of you ladies do that crazy Zumba thing uh, I see happening all the time. If you've done those kinds of things, guess what? When you start out doing that and your body hadn't done it in a long time, it hurts, doesn't it? You're breaking down your muscles, and they have to recover and heal and grow again, and you're retraining and redeveloping them. It's not a fun experience, but it's good for you, and that's why we continue to do it. And the truth is, if you're doing it right, over time, the pain will get less and less. The, the good things that come out of that, the results, hopefully, will continue to increase, but the pain will decrease. But the pain never goes away completely. Because you're still breaking down those muscles and letting them heal and recover. And so you constantly feel that. But it's a good kind of hurt because you know you're doing something right for your body. And see, it's the same spiritually for us. Our spiritual growth requires intentional work. It requires discipline. It requires exercise. Sometimes it hurts. It's not easy. You have to set aside the time and make it a priority to do it. But the results are worthwhile. And when I'm talking about this kind of spiritual growth, I'm not talking about a 90-mile-per-hour prayer that you throw out in desperation as you fly through your day and all the craziness. I'm talking about setting aside some time that's focused on God where you block out all the distractions and He is your focus. See, I would challenge that most of us probably have a fairly one-way relationship with God. And you probably wonder what I mean by that. I'd say this. We talk a lot. We ask a lot of questions. We ask for a lot of things. Sometimes we even get frustrated with God and voice those frustrations about the things that he's not doing the way we want him to do. But how often do we listen? When do you stop and put aside your distractions long enough to just hear God's voice in your life? 
I hear people all the time say that they wish God would speak to them. And I would say, God's always speaking. The problem's not God speaking, the problem is us listening. Being able to listen, being able to hear his voice. For most of us, God would have to yell over top of all the other voices for us to be able to hear. And sometimes he does. But I would suggest that often he doesn't. He wants relationship with us. He wants two-way communication, conversation, that kind of relationship. If you constantly talk to your friend, eventually your friend's not going to be your friend anymore if you're not willing to take time to listen as well. It has to be two-sided. He wants us to listen just as much as we talk. And I think that's a key to Sabbath. Not just Sabbath the day, but the heart of Sabbath. uh, That healthy, recurring pattern in our lives. See, for me, it's easy to look around and go, well, of course I'm listening to God. I mean, I'm doing God's work as a pastor. I have to be listening to God, right? Not necessarily. See, I can be really busy doing what God has called me to do, but am I listening to what God's saying in my heart? Those are two completely different things. I was reading back through a story in the Old Testament this week, and it's a story that you've probably heard before, the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And it's the story that you remember because it's God speaking to Samuel, and Samuel hears the voice and hears his name be called, and he thinks it's Eli the priest calling to him, and he runs back and forth. Well, anyways, you you lead up to that story just to kind of give you a little background on it. Samuel's mom, Hannah, brings him to the temple, and she dedicates him to the Lord's service. And it's a long, drawn-out story where she's begged for years. She's prayed, God, give me a child. Give me a son that I can call my own. And if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him back to you. And she follows through. God blesses her with a son. She dedicates him to the temple, brings him to Eli, leaves him there at the temple to live with Eli and to learn what it means to be a priest there in the temple. And as you watch or as you read through this story and you see it develop, you watch Samuel growing as a priest. He's learning what it means to be a priest. Eli's training him. He's mentoring him. He's bringing him along. And Samuel's beginning to grow up. And in fact, in, in chapters 2 and then coming into chapter 3, you see pieces of this coming together. Like in verse 21 of chapter 2, it says, Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Or then there's verse 26. It says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with people. Or then chapter 3, verse 1, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Samuel's doing God's work. He's learning what it means to be a priest. He's serving the people on God's behalf. At least he's a a priest in training at this point. So he's kind of got this figured out, and you've got to think he's having a lot of encounters with God. I mean, the, the boy lives in the temple. He's learning everything about what it means to minister before the Lord, to minister to the Lord, to minister to the Lord for the people, to represent them. And yet, when we come to this part of the story where God calls Samuel's name and he doesn't understand, he thinks it's Eli, and he runs back and forth, even Eli, the priest, it takes him three times to figure out what's happening. You know, he keeps going to Samuel, no, it wasn't me that called you, go back to bed. And finally, on the third time, he says, oh, I think God's speaking to you. He says, Samuel, this time when you hear your name, when you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. And so Samuel does that. He goes back to bed, he hears his name again, and he says, Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. And it's a cool moment where you see God speak to Samuel, and Samuel really become established as a priest for Israel moving forward. But there's this one verse in that story that I've read over lots and lots of times, and it caught my attention this week. It's verse 7. It says this, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord before. 
Now, this is after Samuel's been in the temple for several years. He's been in training for quite some time. He's learning to be a priest. He's serving God, serving the people, doing all of these things. He's a great follower of God, you would think. And yet it says he did not yet know the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord. You mean I can be doing all the right things and serving God and learning about God and living for God but not hear his voice? I would say absolutely you can. And I think a lot of us fall into this trap much of the time. From outside, we're living for God. We're serving. We're good people. We're growing in knowledge. But are we listening? Are we hearing God's voice in our lives? See, what's really interesting to me is when you dig a little bit deeper into this verse, you realize that there's even more being said here because the word that's translated into English as message is a Hebrew word that's debar. And it's a picture of a conversation, a two-way communication that's happening. It's not just a message that's being given to Samuel from God, but it's a conversation happening between God and Samuel. It, that gives a whole new dynamic to it. Samuel's probably spoken to God countless times at this point in his life, but now God is speaking to him, and he's hearing God's voice. He's listening. Now, I can't speak to how this played out in reality. You read the story, and it, it appears that God spoke audibly to Samuel. He probably did. I think God can do that. I mean, God's God. I've never had that experience. God's never spoken to me audibly. But I have no question that God's spoken to me a number of times. Sometimes God speaks, and it's just like a strong sense in your spirit of what he's saying. Sometimes he speaks, and it, it's, it's just like a, kind of a voice in your head. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, I knew that boy heard voices. But seriously, sometimes it's just that voice that you hear in your head, and it's God speaking to you. Sometimes, and I would say even more often, it's reading God's word. It's him speaking through what is in Scripture, just a Scripture like this where you see something that you haven't seen before or you read across something that speaks to the very situation that you're walking in right then. Or you can just see how God is speaking into your life. But the question is, how will I ever hear God's voice if I'm not reading His Word? Or how will I ever hear His voice if I don't put the discipline in my life to simply be quiet before Him? How will I ever hear his voice if I never stop talking long enough for him to speak to me? And unfortunately, the answer to those questions is pretty easy. I won't. See, this is not a difficult concept. I don't need to spend a bunch of time trying to convince you that we all need discipline in our lives and we have to set aside that quiet time before God and, and spend time reading his word and giving him opportunity to speak to us whether you talk about that often or not, I think we all know that. Deep down, it's even something that we crave. We've been created with that need for it. But are you doing it? And just a side note here, sometimes being quiet before God doesn't mean that the world around us is quiet or still. I, again, I can't speak for you guys. I know for me, I'm like crazy ADD. I, I would have been labeled as a kid if they were doing that when I was a kid. But I can't focus on anything. And the littlest distraction throws me off. And I've got to have complete quiet, completely by myself. I've got to be away from everything if I'm going to have good time to be able to read God's word and focus on what he might be saying. Now, my wife, on the other hand, part of it's just she's wired different, but she can do her quiet time in the midst of crazy chaos. 
I mean, she'll be sitting in her chair in the living room, and the kids are running through the room, and I'm doing things and banging dishes and asking questions, and she's got her headphones on, and she's looking at her Bible app on her phone, and she's like in the zone, and nobody's interrupting. She's there. If I was the one sitting in the chair, I'd be done. I'd have no idea what I was trying to read. I'd have read it four times and still wouldn't know what it said because I was distracted by everything around me. Some of that's how we're wired, but some of that is how we have trained our spiritual muscles as well because sometimes it means we have to learn to get rid of the distractions and we have to figure out what works for us so that we can have that quiet time. I'm that way in life with physical kinds of things. This past week as I was trying to study for today, I need quiet to be able to read and study and think and see what God's saying. And I don't know if you've ever been in our offices, but we don't really have offices. It's a modular building, and we have these little cubicle desk things that we sit at. So basically, when Dave's on the phone or Stivey's on the phone or something else is going on, we're all in it together. You know it. There is no blocking out the noise. So generally when we study, we go home and study because it's quiet there. But now it's summertime, and my kids are home from school, and my wife's home from school. She's a teacher. My house is crazier than it is at the office. So I found myself sitting at the desk with earplugs shoved in my ears as far as I could get them to block out everything that was going on so that I could sit and just be in front of my computer and with my Bible and be quiet and focus on what I needed to do. I've learned that I have to do whatever it takes in those moments to get that stillness, to be quiet, to be able to listen. And it's the same for all of us in our spiritual growth and development. We've got to learn to block out the distractions around us so that we can focus on God's voice and be still before him. I could go on and on and give you all kinds of illustrations and practical applications, but as I was praying this past week, I felt like God asked me to do something a little bit different today, and this is not something we do real often, but I want to give you just a few moments of reflection this morning that would help you to apply this personally. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be as quiet as you can be, And just take a deep breath, kind of slow your breathing, relax, and just be still before God and allow him to speak to you. I put together just a very simple slideshow of some scriptures, just plain black and white, simple as it can be, nothing behind it. It's just going to be silent, you reading. But these are scriptures that talk specifically about how God speaks to us or how we hear his voice, and they're things that were very meaningful to me as I was studying this week. And so I want you to take some time just to meditate on those words, to read through that, to think about what God might be saying to you. And then at the end of those scriptures, there's going to be a song that plays, and the screen will just go black, and, and the song will play, and I want you just to sit and listen. Close your eyes if you want to. But just listen to the words of the song and hear what God may be saying to you in this moment. And then when that's over, I'll come back, and I want to share one more story with you. Finding myself at a loss for words And the funny thing is, it's okay The last thing I need is to be heard But to hear what you would say
Last night, Sherry and I were reading through a, a little devotional that we do a lot of times before we go to bed. And it's just a real simple kind of devotional. It's designed for parents. And, and you read a few words, like a story it'll share with you, and then has a scripture a lot of times. And, and uh, last night, the scripture it was using, it was talking about um, the importance of our words and how we communicate, especially with our kids, and being careful of the things that we say. And he used the scripture from Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, and it's Jesus talking to his disciples And he says, even heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And the devotional was stressing the importance of us being careful about the words we use and the things that we say. But as I was reading that, especially in in light of some of the things I'd read this week and thought about, it just hit me. Thank goodness, thank God, that his words never pass away. His words are his instructions to us. His words, his Bible, that's how he speaks to us. The story I was telling you earlier about Samuel, just a couple books over, there's another story that I've really grown to love. It's in 1 Kings, and it's the story about Elijah. And if you remember hearing about Elijah, Elijah was a a prophet from the Old Testament that did some amazing things. God worked through him in powerful ways. And and in in chapters like 17 through 19, uh, probably even going back into chapter 16, there's just like this whole series of of miracles that happen, things that God's doing through Elijah. I mean, everything from God asked him to, to pray for a drought in the land, and he does, and it doesn't rain for several years. At the end of the story, you see him come back, and he, he uh, calls Elijah to pray for rain, and rain comes after they've gone through this season of drought. In the midst of that, Elijah goes and stays with this widow and her son, and, and they're about to run out of food. They're, in fact, the widow says to him, you know, this is the last little bit of flour and olive oil I have, and, and I'm just getting ready to bake this last loaf of bread, and then my son and I are going to die from starvation. And Elijah 
prays on her behalf, and he tells her to go ahead and fix the meal, and that she'll never run out of food, and she doesn't. She constantly has enough flour and enough oil. And that same son that he's staying there with eventually gets sick and, and dies, and Elijah prays over the boy and brings him back to life. And so it's just miracle after miracle, all these things happening, and it all kind of culminates in, in chapter 18 where Elijah calls out all the prophets of Baal, and he calls them to Mount Carmel for this challenge. And if you remember the story here, he, they build two altars, and, and Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal, says, you put your sacrifice on that altar, you cut up your bowl and put it there, and you call on your gods to send fire to consume your altar. And I'm going to do the same thing. And he puts a bowl on his altar, and he said, I'm going to call to my God to send fire and consume the altar. And, and they go back and forth, and Elijah even makes fun of him. He's, he's talking smack to him about, well, your gods must be asleep, or maybe they've gone off to relieve themselves, or they're just not listening or paying attention I mean, it was, it was this neat encounter that you see. And, of course, the prophets of Baal can do nothing. They pray and dance and do all the rituals. Nothing happens. Elijah, before he steps up and prays, pours water all over his altar. He even builds a, a trench all the way around it and, and fills it full of jars of water. And he says one prayer, and as he's praying, God sends fire from heaven and consumes the bowl, the altar, and every bit of water that he had poured over it. It's an amazing moment of victory for God and a miracle that's happened through Elijah. And right after that, in fact, like just a few verses after that, you see that this lady named Jezebel, who was a bad character, she was following Baal and following all of these prophets. She gets mad because of what Elijah's done, and so she threatens his life. She says, this very day, I'm going to make sure you're killed. Now, you've got to think, Elijah, after going through all this, he's got to be like completely charged and trusting in God fully, and he's ready to go, and that's not even going to phase him. But in reality, he does like most of us would do, and he tucks tail and he runs, literally runs to hide in the hills. And he comes to Mount Sinai, and he spends the night in a cave there at Mount Sinai. And, and in that moment, God shows up and speaks to Elijah. And I'd like you to pick up, because this is a, a neat encounter that happens. Verse 11 of chapter 19, 1 Kings. God speaking here. He says, Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord said. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. The word that's translated there as gentle whisper, when you look back at the Hebrew, and I'm sure I won't pronounce this exactly right, but it's demama, and it literally means silence or stillness. See, I look at the story and I go, all of those things that you just read about, those are huge examples of God. I mean, a windstorm, a firestorm, an earthquake, those are amazing things that show God's power. They, they resemble who I see God to be as all-powerful and almighty. He had to be in all of those things. But yet the story says that even after all of that, it was that gentle whisper, the silence, the stillness where God spoke. And see, that's been a reminder to me for a long time now that it's critical that I learn to still my heart that I learn to just be silent at times before God and seek Him to hear His voice. Because I'm really bad about looking for God in all the big things in life. 
expecting him to show up and all the, the craziness and to yell over top of everything that's going on to where it's miraculous and you can't mistake any part of it. That, that, that had to be God. But more often than not, it's like what we read just a moment ago from John 10 where he's saying, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And see, a shepherd doesn't yell at his sheep. He doesn't have to beat his sheep with a staff to get them to go with him. When you see a shepherd, he's not behind the sheep pushing them and driving them like we do cattle. He's out in front of them walking, leading, and he's talking to them. And the sheep know his voice and they follow after him. And I think that's how God speaks to us most of the time. We just have to learn to listen. If I want to hear God's voice, I need to be still. You can't listen when you're talking. You don't listen well when you're running 100 miles per hour doing 100 different things at the same time. I have to develop the spiritual discipline of being still before God so that I can just listen. I have to turn off all the other noise in my life so that I can hear from the source of life. So I want to leave you with this challenge today. Learn to be still before God. Sounds really simple, but you and I both know how hard that is to do. And I can't tell you how to do it exactly because everybody's a little different. But learn to be still before God. Train your mind, train your body, train your spirit to sit quietly and listen for God's voice. Do whatever you have to do to make that happen. Go off somewhere in your car and sit quietly for a few minutes. Find a corner in your house before anybody else gets up and spend some time there. Go to the office early before anybody gets in. Whatever it takes, find a way to quiet yourself and just be still before him. So I'm going to ask you to do this this week. Take a little bit of time each day. Every day between now and next Sunday, take some time to just be still and be quiet before God and to allow Him to speak to you. No matter how crazy life is, no matter how many things are being thrown at you all at the same time, no matter how many deadlines you're facing, no matter how much stuff you have to accomplish that day, find a way to set all that aside for a few moments and just be quiet and be still and allow God to speak. And see what happens. See what happens. Band, you guys come on up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything specific as far as response this morning. If God's speaking to your heart and you need to talk to somebody or you need to pray with somebody, I'd love for you to come back to Next Steps. Mikey's back there. I'll be back there. Stivy will be over there. We'll, We'll have some people around. We can pray with you, talk with you. We'd love to do that. Take the words to heart this morning. Figure out what it takes for you to just be still before God, to listen, to hear his voice. God is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? Let's pray, and then Brandon will lead us in worship. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we have the opportunity just to to be here before you, God, to, to be in your presence, to have an opportunity just to be still and to listen to you. God, I pray that even now you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that 
you would help us to have the discipline that's required to be able to be still before you and to listen for your voice. Help us to know what it is we need to do to be able to accomplish that. God, thank you that you do speak to us. Thank you that you've invited us into a relationship that is two ways, that is conversational, where we can not only bring our requests and our our concerns and our things to you and share our heart, but God, you so want to share your heart with us. Help us to stop and listen to that. Lead us and guide us. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.